great. Come and find your seats again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're with us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who is with us, in us, dwelling in this place where we are because we are gathered together in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we thank you that you've already spoken. We thank you that we've sensed you here with us already. And we ask now that you would continue, that you would speak to us, that you'd help us to be soft-hearted towards you as we hear your precious word, that it would, it would go deep and it would change us, make us more like the Lord Jesus. Lord, we ask that you do that for your glory's sake. Amen. Um, I've brought the wrong Bible with me today, so the words that are going to come up on the screen, I'm going to stand and read them off the screen, otherwise you'll be totally confused if I read uh, the version that I've brought with me. Um, so we'll, we'll read the version that's going to, hopefully is going to go on the screen. Is it going to go on the screen? <laughs> it's there, thank you. Okay, so we're going back to Genesis and back to the story of Noah, and so we're going to read pretty much the same passage that we read last week. And uh, we're going to build on that and look at something slightly different. So Genesis chapter 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry I have made them. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you're to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to the cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side and make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you, and of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. 
of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, and of the creeping things of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that the Lord commanded him. Last week we looked right at the start of that story at what we called an elephant in the room. So we we talked a little bit about the animals being shut up in the ark, but actually there's this huge elephant that's left outside in the room that we don't really like to talk about, that we'd prefer to skirt round the edge of. Um, we'd much prefer to talk about God's mercy and his love and his compassion, and actually we'd much prefer not to talk about this one big elephant in the room, which is his judgment, his opinion on sin, the way he views your sin and mine, and the consequence of that. And we see in this story the picture of, of there are two possible consequences. There are no others There's no middle ground. There's no gray area. Either you're in the ark when God shuts the door or you're outside. There's no gray area. There's no middle ground. And it's something that, as Christians, we sometimes find quite difficult to talk about. This whole idea of judgment, of the wrath of God that he says will come to those who are not repentant, who have not accepted the rescue plan. Now, the wonderful thing is that when... God presents the picture of what's going to happen to humanity. He also presents the rescue plan. And that, you find that throughout, throughout uh, Scripture. You find it in the book of Jonah, where Jonah is sent by God to warn the Ninevans that if they don't repent, he's going to bring judgment. But there is a rescue plan. And throughout the Bible, we find that, right leading up right to the picture of the ultimate rescue plan which was Jesus being sent as the sacrifice so that we wouldn't have to face that judgment. And we looked at that last week, and we lingered there a bit, and uh, we, we looked at it again a little bit on Tuesday at the prayer meeting. And, and today, do you know, I want to look at another elephant in the room. Now, you may be thinking, oh, we had a bit of a bashing last week. Can we not have, can we not have a a little Labrador puppy this week, maybe, or a nice spring lamb. Can we not have another of these big elephants in the room? But as I've read the passage, I've just felt that there is another elephant in the room in this story, which we can prefer to skirt around. There are other bits of this story that we would prefer to dwell on than this one. And so the elephant that I think is in the room here this week with us although I hope that this elephant may reduce in size as we talk, is that Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. We might call that obedience. Obedience. When you talk about the Christian faith, I don't know if that's a word that you would readily use with other people. Oh, well, I'm a Christian, and it means that um, I love Jesus, and I'm under his grace and his forgiveness, and it means that I never have to walk alone anymore. I've always got him with me, and, uh, and he calls me to be obedient. Actually, probably most of us wouldn't mention that word. We wouldn't talk about obedience. But 
this passage talks about it a number of times. In fact, if you read further on into the account of the ark, obedience, and Noah did all that God commanded him. Noah did what God commanded him. Noah did all that God commanded him. It comes up two or three times throughout the passage. And so I want to look at this idea of obedience a little bit. We might think that it's just a bit of an Old Testament thing. And actually, if you put the word uh, commandment or commanded into your uh, online Bible dictionary, you'll find that there are loads of them in the Old Testament. And there are, aren't quite so many of them in the New Testament. And so the temptation for us is to think that obedience is, is not something that's quite so important to us these days now that we're living in the new covenant of God's grace and mercy. And obedience isn't quite as important as it was back in the, the Old Testament days. But I don't think that's right, because listen to what Jesus says in the Great Commission. And quite often, again, we will think about the first few words of this, but not the next bit. So he says to his disciples, before he's taken into heaven, go into all the world and preach the good news to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, we quite like the idea of going out and spreading the good news. We love baptizing new believers. But we're also called to obedience. And it's one that we quite often like to skip around. I don't know how you feel when you hear the word obedience. Do you know, I think there are two emotions that it stirs in me, the word obedience. And, and, and I'll tell you what the root of both these emotions are. So the first one is, um, well, I don't really like being told what to do, if I'm honest. And um, I like the grace bit, and... I like walking with God, and I, I love the mercy, but I'm not really so sure that I like obedience. It's a bit like my freedom being taken away, my independence. I, I'm not so keen on obedience. Do you know what's behind that one? It's independence. And what's behind independence? Pride. Pride. I know best, and no one can tell me what to do. Thank you very much. The other emotion that, that the word obedience can stir in us, and sometimes will stir in me, is fear. Is fear. I'm never going to quite get it right enough. And we can experience that, can't we, in, in the work context. Obedience, sticking to the rules, uh, reaching your performance targets. Obedience, that word, can stir in us those two things, pride and fear. And both of those are probably right at the bottom of most of our sin. Those two things, pride and fear. But do you know what? Although it's very clear from the Bible that we are called to be obedient... 
the context in which we're called to be obedient makes all the difference. What do I mean? Well, let's just have a look at a couple of other things about Noah. In verse 8, it says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, that word favor is the same word that could be translated in the Greek as grace. So you can, and in fact, in the uh, King James Version of the Bible, it is translated grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found favor. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The Bible tells us when we read that account about Noah that he was clearly a good man. God says things like, oh, he was blameless in his generation. He was a good man. And one commentator, a guy called Matthew Henry, says this. I found it really helpful. He says this, he was a very good man, but he was no better than the grace of God made him. Noah was a man who knew the grace of God. He wasn't sinless. He wasn't perfect. And we know this for two reasons. After the ark uh, story comes to an end and the, the ark lands on the mountain at the top and it's time for all the animals to come out and, and they all come out, the first thing that Noah does is he builds an altar and he sacrifices on it. And it wasn't just a sacrifice to say thank you. It was a sacrifice of atonement, recognizing that actually I'm still sinful. God has wiped away the whole of this generation, and yet I'm still sinful. The first thing that Noah does is he sacrifices. So we know that he's not sinless because of that. We also know he's not sinless because right towards the end of the account of Noah, we find that he's, uh, he's become a wine grower, or he's become a, a, a vine grower, and he gets drunk. So we know that Noah wasn't perfect, the Bible paints a picture of him as a, as a good man, but he was a man who was under grace. He was a man who was under grace. He knew that the only reason that he was chosen to go in the ark was because he had discovered God's grace, God's mercy, God's favor. I want to read you a passage from... Uh, Deuteronomy, where Moses gives the people of Israel, just before they go into the promised land, a list of things to do. Listen to this from Deuteronomy 10. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. And then he says something that puts a whole new feel on that, because I don't know about you, you read that list and you feel overwhelmed by it. But then he says this, For the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it, yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. You see, that puts obedience in a whole different context. 
because now I'm being obedient to one who has set his affections on me. Do you know that? Today, if you know him, he has set his affections on you. Now, doesn't that make the call to obedience feel a bit different? If you're being called to be obedient to one who has chosen you out of all the nations of the world and set his affection on you. Or perhaps that was just the Old Testament. Well, actually it wasn't. Because we know that in the New Testament, Peter says, but you are a royal priesthood, a chosen people, a people belonging to God. So those words are now relevant to us. He now says to you, I have set my affection on you. You see, the context in which we are called to be obedient makes all the difference. What else does it say about Noah? In verse 9, it says, Noah walked with God. That word walked, uh, it's only used, I think, twice in the Old Testament, that word. That particular translation of that word walked. And that word is only used for two people. It's used to describe Noah, and it's used to describe a guy called Enoch, who appears a little bit earlier in Genesis. And we don't know anything about him, except that it says Enoch walked with God, using this same word, and then God basically took him straight to heaven. And this uh, word, walked, that's only used a couple of times in the Bible, implies um, an extraordinary level of intimacy. So it's not just walked, it's walking with constant daily intimacy with God. Noah walked with God in that way. He's, he's in tune with God. He's walking in step with the Holy Spirit. Noah knew that he was a recipient of grace, and he also walked with God daily, like a man walked with his friend. That's the context in which Noah was able to be obedient. And, of course, he points towards the one who was, had the ultimate relationship with God, which was the Lord Jesus, and the one who was completely obedient to his father. And, 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 you, and you get a taste of what obedience felt like to Jesus when he says this. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. It's like food for me to do his will. It's not like a list. Oh, do that. I'm going to get up in the morning, kneel down, have a quiet time, and then tick them off. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. The whole context is completely different for us if we are remembering that we are the objects of his affection and that we are able to walk with him. That's one of the reasons why, I suppose, in this church, we talk lots about wanting to know the presence of God, wanting to know intimacy when we worship, encouraging intimacy when we spend time with him alone and when we're together. Because actually that intimacy is so important because it just shows us again, oh, he set his affection on me. Anything he calls me to do, anything he calls me to be obedient with, is in the context of the fact that he has set his affection on me. That means it's going to be for my good. 
when I obey him. That means that even when it is tough, it is going to be for my good because he has set his affection on me. Jesus said, I've brought you glory, Father, on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And do you know what? If we are to be fully obedient, and we are called to be obedient, then we have to know the grace of God, and we have to walk with him. Because being obedient will not always be easy. Jesus was the ultimate son who was obedient. Obedient to death. And you sense that in that prayer of Jesus at the end of the book of John. When Jesus is praying and he says, Father, if it is possible, if it is possible, will you take this cup from me? If it is possible, yet not my will but yours be done. Unless you know the favour of God like that, unless you are walking with him, when he calls you to make an ultimate sacrifice or to be obedient in a way that is really difficult, unless you've got that, you're likely to shrink back. That's the honest truth. Noah... We don't know how long he spent building the ark, and there are different estimates about actually how long it took him to build it. But he would have been building this thing with absolutely no evidence that rain and flood was going to come. He put aside years of his life to do something which his neighbours would have laughed at him about. And it all started with one plank of wood. Imagine what that's like. Starting with one plank of wood. And yet he was obedient. It says two or three times throughout the passage, he did everything the Lord commanded him. How did he do it? He did it because he knew the favour and the grace of God. And what did that stir in him? Gratitude. I'll do anything for you, God. I've known your favour gratitude and he walked with him he walked with him and that meant on the day when he'd been slaving away building the frame of this thing and it's years and years off completion and it's so small and insignificant and compared with what's going on around him it just seems to have no relevance whatsoever Because he walks with God, he knows next day I can go back. I can go back and I I can walk with him again. I can spend some time with him again. I can hear him whisper, yeah, go on, keep going, keep going. I'm with you, I'm with you. The importance of living in the good of the grace of God and knowing his affection and walking with him daily is the only way we can be obedient. But it's not an optional extra obedience. 
Do you know what in the Bible God often does in his loving grace to us? Is He does two things when he wants us to do something. When he knows it's for our good, he does two things. He wins us and he warns us. He wins us and he warns us. Do you know what God would prefer to do with us? He would prefer to win us to obedience by his grace and by his affection. But he does know that sometimes we're not open to that or we forget it. And so in his grace, he also warns. So I tell you, one of the most, one of the passages in the New Testament that for me is probably one of the most frightening passages. I have always found it scary. I still find it scary. It still brings me to my knees. And it is the story that Jesus tells about the servants who are given the talents. And that's not like a talent, I can play the piano. It's a talent which represented a vast amount of money in those days. And we know the story that one servant is given five talents, and one servant is given two talents by the master, and one servant is given one, and the master goes off and he leaves these huge amounts of money with the servants, and two of them invested, two of them set it to work, and it comes back double. And whether it was the servant with five or whether it was the servant with two, the answer that Jesus gives is the same from the master. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in little. Now I'm going to give you much. Come and share my joy, he says. doesn't matter if you're a five-talent person or a two-talent person. If you've put it to work, if you've been obedient, if you've been submissive, if you've surrendered to him, he says, well done. The frightening one is what he says to the guy who buried it. And do you know what the guy who buried it thought? That just giving that back would be enough. It's not like he'd lost it. It's not like he'd squandered it and he was then facing the master and saying, actually, I, I lost it all. No, actually, he's given it back. He's he still got it. But that's not enough for the master. The master calls him wicked and lazy. Boy, that drives me to my knees, that parable, when I read that. Because I don't want to face him on that day and to him to say to me, so what did you do with what I gave you then? Now, I'm sure that I'll be red-faced on that day anyway. I will be but there'll be another advocate for me. But still I want to hear him say, well done, well done. Come and share the joy of your master, come on. God wants to win us to obedience and he'd much rather win us, but he's loving enough also to warn us. That obedience to what he calls us to do is not an optional extra. It's part of his expectation of you. Do you know that God has an expectation of you? You know, we love the bit in the Bible where Jesus says to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. It's 
lovely, isn't it? There's another little bit to it. Do you know what it is? If you keep my commandments. You are my friends, he says. If you keep my commandments. We sing songs about being friends of Jesus. But actually, he says, you're my friends if you keep my commandments. So how are you doing with obedience? I wrestled with whether to bring this bit to you or not, but I've decided I'm going to. So I looked up obey to see how many times it would come up in the Bible. And one of the times it comes up in the New Testament, so obey doesn't come up very often, but it comes up in the context of Hebrews 13. It says this. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Oh, has that elephant just suddenly got a bit bigger again in the room? <laughs> Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Obey your leaders. Oh, boy. Now, I'm not a Bible scholar, but I have looked into this word obey in that passage. And let me tell you what I found. In the ESV, that's this one here, that's Dan's ESV, okay? It says that word obey. And in the 1984 version of the New International Version of the Bible, it says obey. In the new version of the New International Version that came out last year, it says, um, have confidence in your leaders. Oh, it's softened it a bit, hasn't it? <laughs> mm. So I thought, right, well, let me look up what this, where this word comes from. And this word obey in Hebrews 13 comes from a Greek word called patho, patho. And what patho actually means, see, I think the ESV's got it a little bit wrong. I do. Because patho... <laughs> What patho really means is be being persuaded. Be being persuaded. It can be translated as obey, but it's not in the context of blind obedience. But it's, it means, are you prepared to go on being persuaded by your leaders? Be being persuaded. And then I looked up the word submit, because it says submit, doesn't it? And submit to them. And that word, again, is only used a couple of times in the Bible and in this passage here, and it means it's, it's, it's used, it's taken from like a, like a military, type, you know, a battle, submit, to yield, to yield. So be being persuaded by your leaders. Yield to them. Yield. Withdraw is another translation. Withdraw. Yield. How yielding are you? Oh, some of you know. In fact, most of you probably know because um, if you've had any conversation with me over the last couple of months, I've bored most of the people in the church with this. 
um, that I've resigned from my job. So I resigned from work the week before last, and uh, I'm leaving uh, my school after 26 years. It's the only job I've ever done. It's the only place I've ever worked. And, um, and um, I don't know what I'm going to do. I <laughs> don't know what I'm going to do. Um, what a foolish thing to do. What a foolish decision. Um, shall I tell you the process that I went through with that? I, I sensed after a while that God was saying it in here. I did. That was the first thing. I sensed him. God, I think you might be shaking me out of this. I don't do change, but I think you might be saying it's time to go. I sensed it. And then I started to talk to a few people about it. And I talked to Owen about it. And I talked to Ben about it. Sensing and having some change come out. And I talked to another really good friend of mine, a guy called Brett. And he questioned me. And suddenly it started to develop. Oh, no, I do think I need to go. Oh, and... Oh, perhaps I need to not know what I'm going to. Perhaps I should have a bit of a sabbatical. And, and then I came back and I told Ben and Owen, oh, I think, I'm thinking, this is what, what do you think? And they said, yeah, no, no, we think so too. We think that sounds right. That sounds good. Do you know what? They have been my safety net. They've been my safety net. And he will tell you, who's known me for 30 years, he will tell you that submitting myself to other people is not something that I've done readily over my life. I struggle with it. Single men quite often do struggle with it, particularly. I mean, we can all struggle with it, but I particularly have struggled with it. Do you know what? I am just learning what a blessing it is to yield, to submit myself to what others have to say when they speak into my life to surrender and be obedient. It's a safety net for me. It's grace for me. Do you know that? That passage there? It's not saying, obey your leaders and submit to them. Yes. No. <laughs> it's saying, be being persuaded. Yield. It's good for you. Because do you know what? There's another fairly frightening bit in that for us because we have to give an account for you. <coughs> so you're all right. You'll only give an account for yourself. Isn't that enough? <laughs> we have to give an account for you. <laughs> do you know, if we read that seriously as leaders, that puts us down onto our knees as well because that means that every piece of advice that I give you or every conversation that Owen has with you Potentially, we're going to have to give an account for it. So I better make sure that I'm not lording it over you in any way. I better make sure that what I'm bringing to you is what I believe God is saying for you for your good. And hopefully, because you will trust that that's the way we're doing it, you'll, you'll be being persuaded. You'll yield. It's a safety net for you. It's part of God's grace. So how are you doing with obedience? Do you know, when I've been, while I've been talking, there might have been something where you thought, do you know what, I've been, I've been stalling on that, God. I've felt you say that about me for a while. And I've just been stalling. I've, I've not been quite there. 
I love the grace. I love being called your friend. But actually, I'm also now realizing you're saying, if you do my commandments, if you follow me. And perhaps there's something for you where today, in God's grace, he's saying a couple of things to you. He's first of all saying to you, I've set my affection on you. I've set my affection on you. I've, I've given you my favor. You've been walking with me. Now, I have this thing against you. You might have something like that that you want to tell him about this morning. Do you want to bring to him? Do you want to say, God, I'm, I'm just so sorry. I've experienced all the goodness. And, that, and I've been dragging my feet or I've been stalling over this. Or actually, I've just point blank said no to you. Do you know today you've got an opportunity in a moment. I'm going to give you an opportunity to just repent and to come before him and say, God, I want to be obedient. Can you see what happens and can be achieved when you're obedient? Look what happened when Noah was obedient. He saved humanity. What happened when Jesus was obedient? He saved <coughs> humanity too. He saved you. When we are obedient to him, there is nothing he cannot do and nothing that he will not choose to do through you. So, I think what we're going to do is... I'm going to ask you to stand. <coughs> Listen to what it says about the Lord Jesus. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. And being found in human likeness as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, obedient even to death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him. Do you know what? When we humble ourselves <coughs> before God and become obedient, he exalts us. He exalts us. So you don't need to feel condemned if you're bringing some stuff to him this morning where you haven't been obedient. Perhaps you've not yielded. Perhaps you've not been persuadable. Perhaps you've got to bring that to him and you've got to repent. But as you do that in humility, he will exalt you. He will exalt you again. Exalt means to lift up. Do you know what? When we repent, he never, ever leaves us in the dust. We humble ourselves. He exalts us. Why don't you just do some business with God for a moment, if there's anything particular. And if there isn't anything particular that comes to your mind, why don't you just ask him, God, help me to stay walking close with you so that I hear your voice, so that I am obedient so that I don't just take the goodness and the grace you've given, but actually I come to you and say, what can I do? What can I give back? What can I give as an offering? 
I give myself again. I offer my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. It's my spiritual act of worship. It's all I can do, and I do it willingly. Why don't you do that? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you humbled yourself so that we could be exalted. We are so grateful. We thank you that you never leave us in the dust. We thank you that even when you graciously and lovingly uncover stuff in our lives, that you do it because you've set your affection on us and you want us to become more like you and you want us to be won over and persuaded again by you. And I pray, Lord Jesus, this morning that for all these dear people, Lord, that you would do something in them that makes them persuadable and yielding to you and to your Holy Spirit's work in their lives. And that as we do that, as we yield, as we become persuadable, as we lay down our stuff, like Becca was talking about this morning, as we lay down our stuff, that you will pick us up and use us, and it will become a delight to us. And that even when you call us to do something which might be really tricky, we will be able to follow the model of the Saviour who said, if it's possible, take it away, but not my will, yours be done. Lord, would you do that? Would you mould us and make us to be sons and daughters who are prepared to follow you right to the end? and to build the church that you've called us to build. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. Okay. If um, that's stirred something in you and you just would like to talk to someone, then I'll be around, and you're really welcome to come and talk to me. Do you know what? Sometimes when, when God's done something and pointed something out in you, it's good to come and confess it with your mouth. Come and talk to someone so that you know it's really dealt with. So, if God's done something in you today, then find someone to talk to and tell them, I've just repented of this. Find someone and tell them. Because they'll help you to stay accountable about it. So find someone and tell them. And if you'd like to talk to me, then I'll be at the front. God bless you. We're going to have tea and coffee. Community groups Tuesday and Thursday. You may take your seats.